Britain and France, the reluctant policemen. With Germany, Italy and Japan doing their utmost to undo the post-war settlement, the heavy burden of defending it fell on Britain and France. They had won the war. They had gained much of what they wanted from the war. For Britain, the Imperial German Navy was lying scuttled beneath the waves of Scapa Flow in Orkney. Great swathes of German territory were now under a British flag, albeit under League of Nations mandates. It was now possible to travel from Cape Town to Cairo without leaving British territory. As an added bonus, Britain had gained protectorates over the oil-producing remnants of the former Ottoman Empire in the Middle East. France had gained Syria and Lebanon, but Britain had gained Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. France had regained Alsace-Lorraine, and reparations would enrich France and impoverish Germany, perhaps. Yet French leaders were uneasy. The feeling of security eluded them, with perhaps good reason. It had taken the combined forces of France, Britain, the United States, Russia, plus more doubtful contributions from others such as Italy and Portugal, to bring Germany to the point of surrender. The French were not sure that such a coalition could ever again be built up. Italy's support was ambiguous. It would come at a cost. Russia was communist and out of the equation. Woodrow Wilson had guaranteed French territorial integrity, and Lloyd George had backed this up. But the United States Senate had refused to ratify the Treaty of Versailles. The guarantee was thus null and void, as was the British guarantee that went with it. The French then sought to replace the pre-war Franco-Russian alliance with a series of agreements with Poland, Czechoslovakia, Romania and Yugoslavia. The idea was that these countries owed their existence to the treaties and therefore would support their enforcement, especially if Germany threatened France. France, however, was much more reluctant to confront the issue of what would happen if Germany headed east rather than west. Would the French rush to arms if Prague rather than Paris, Bucharest rather than Bordeaux were the targets? The wider British reasons for being reluctant to be world policemen will be discussed in a later podcast. Let's consider the British reaction to the peace settlement. Almost as soon as it was signed, there was a general feeling in British government and intellectual circles that the settlement was flawed. Two influential books set the tone. One was The Economic Consequences of the Peace by John Maynard Keynes, and the other was The World Crisis by Winston Churchill. Lloyd George also felt that far from being enforced, the treaties had to be tidied up and clarified. The result was a series of Allied conferences in places like Cannes, Genoa and London between 1920 and 1922. There was much talk, but little was achieved. British sympathies began to swing towards Germany. She had been unfairly treated. The French were bullying her. The European balance was being upset. So instead of enforcing the peace treaties, the British sought greater accommodation with Germany. Appeasement was not unique 
to Neville Chamberlain. In 1923, the French and Belgians attempted to enforce the Treaty of Versailles with rigour. At the end of 1922, a load of timber failed to be delivered by the Germans. The French decided to treat this as a point of principle and enforce the treaty. French troops occupied the Ruhr for much of 1923. It was a disaster for Germany and almost as bad for France. The French were totally isolated. The British refused to support the move. The German coal miners refused to work. Tempers flared, violence broke out and two currencies collapsed. The German hyperinflation was dramatic and bizarre. Barrel loads of notes being needed for a loaf of bread. Quieter and less dramatic was the collapse of the franc. No wonder penniless American writers could survive in Paris for long periods of time. Eventually, in 1924, the crisis was resolved, but the French had learned a hard lesson. Never again would they be out of step with Britain. Thus, in all the crisis of the 1930s, was the close contact between Hoare, Eden, Halifax, Chamberlain and their French counterparts, Laval, Flandin, Bonnet and Eladier. In 1925, an open-ended commitment to defend the status quo called the Geneva Protocol was discussed at the League. Such a general document was too much for Britain's Conservative government. It would mean being the world's policeman. Instead, a series of agreements were negotiated at Locarno. And by these agreements, Germany said that she would accept her western frontiers with France and Belgium, including the demilitarised Rhineland. Britain and Italy would act as guarantors. In return, Germany would be admitted to the League. Peace now seemed guaranteed. Nobel Peace Prizes were handed out to Austin Chamberlain and Gustav Stresemann, the Anglo-German architects of the agreement. What everyone was too polite to mention was that nothing had been said about Germany's eastern frontiers.